Odysseus finished his story, and they were all spellbound, hushed to silence throughout the shadowy hall, until Alcinous found his voice and said, Odysseus, now that you have come to my house, high-roofed and founded on bronze, I do not think you'll be blown off course again before reaching home. Hear now my command. All who drink the glowing wine of elders daily in my halls, and hear the harper sing, clothes for our guest lie in a polished sea chest, along with richly wrought gold and all the other gifts the Phaeacian lords have brought to the palace. But now each man of us gives him a cauldron, too. We will recoup ourselves later with a general tax. It's hard to make such generous gifts alone. They were all pleased with what Alcinous said. Each man went to his own house to sleep, and when dawn's rosy fingers appeared in the sky, they hurried to the ship with their gifts of bronze. Alcinous, the sacred king himself, went on board and stowed them away beneath the benches where they would not hinder the rowers' efforts. Then they all went back to feast in the palace. In their honor, Alcinous sacrificed an ox to Zeus, the dark cloud, who rules over all. They roasted the haunches and feasted gloriously while the godlike harper honored Demodocus, saying in their midst. But Odysseus kept turning his head toward the shining sun, urging it down the sky. He longed to set forth. A man who has been in the fields all day with his wooden plow and wine-faced oxen longs for supper and welcomes the sunset that sends him homeward with weary knees. So welcome to Odysseus was the evening sun. As soon as it set, he addressed the Phaeacians, Alcinous especially, and his words had wings. Lord Alcinous, I bid you and your people to pour libation and send me safely on my way, and I bid you farewell. All is now here that my heart has desired, passage home, and cherished gifts that the gods in heaven have blessed me with. When I reach home, may I find my wife and loved ones unharmed. May you enjoy your wife and children here. May the gods send you everything good, and may harm never come to your island people. They all cheered this speech and demanded that the stranger and guest be given passage home. Alcinous then nodded to his herald. Pontanos, mix a bowl of wine and serve cups to all that we may pray to Lord Zeus and send our guest to his own native land. Thus the king and Pontanoas mixed the mellow-hearted wine and served it to all. Still seated, they tipped their cups to the gods who possess wide heaven. Then Odysseus stood up and placed a two-handled cup in Arete's hands, and his words rose on wings. Be well, my queen, all of your days until age and death come to you, as they come to all. I am leaving now, but you, lady, enjoy this house, your children, your people, and Lord Alcinous. And godlike Odysseus stepped over the threshold. Alcinous sent a herald along to guide him to the shore and the swift ship there. And Arete sent serving women with him, one carrying a cloak and laundered shirt, and another to bring the strong sea chest. A third brought along bread and red wine. They came down to the sea, and the ship's crew stowed all these things away in the hold, the food and drink, too. Then they spread out a rug and a linen sheet on the stern deck for Odysseus to sleep upon undisturbed. He climbed on board and lay down in silence while they took their places upon the benches and untied the cable from the anchor stone. As soon as they dipped their oars in the sea, 
a deep sleep fell on his eyelids, a sleep sound and sweet and very much like death. And as four yoked stallions spring all together beneath the lash, leaping high and then eat up the dusty road on the plain, so lifted the keel of that ship, and in her wake an indigo wave hissed and roiled as she ran straight ahead. Not even a falcon, lord of the skies, could have matched her pace. So light her course as she cut through the waves, bearing a man with a mind like the gods, a man who had suffered deep in his heart, enduring men's wars and the bitter sea. But now he slept, his sorrows forgotten. The sea turned silver under the star that precedes the dawn, and the great ship pulled up to Ithaca. Forces, the old man of the sea, has a harbor there. Two fingers of rock curl out from the island, steep to seaward, but sloping down to the bay they protect from hurricane winds and high waves outside. Inside, ships can ride without anchor in the still water offshore. At the harbor's head, a slender-leaved olive stands near a cave glimmering through the mist and sacred to the nymphs called naiads. Inside are bowls and jars of stone where bees store honey and long stone looms where the nymphs weave shrouds as dark as the sea. Waters flow there forever and there are two doors, one toward the north wind by which humans go down, the other toward the south wind, a door for the gods. No men enter there. It is the way of the immortals. The Phaeacians had been here before. In they rode, and with such force that their ship was propelled half of its length onto the shelving shore. The crew disembarked, lifting Odysseus out of the ship, sheet, carpet, and all, and laying him down, sound asleep on the sand. Then they hauled from the ship all of the goods the Phaeacian lords had given him as he was going home, all thanks to Athena. They piled these together near the bowl of the olive, away from the path, fearing that someone might come along before Odysseus woke and rob him blind. Then the Phaeacians went home. But the earth shaker did not forget the threats he had leveled against Odysseus, and he asked Zeus what he intended to do. I lose face among the gods, Zeus, when I'm not respected by mortal men, the Phaeacians yet, my own flesh and blood. I swore that Odysseus would have to suffer before getting home. I didn't say he would never get home, because you had already agreed that he would, and now they've brought him over the sea while he napped on their ship, and set him down in Ithaca, and given him gifts of bronze and clothing and gold, more than he ever would have taken out of Troy had he come home safely with his share of the loot. And Zeus, clouds scudding around him, what a thing for you to say, you, the Templar, dishonored by the gods, it would be hard for us to sling insults at our eldest and best. And if some overconfident hero fails to pay you respect, you can always pay him back. Do as you please, and as your heart desires. And Poseidon, lord of the earthquake. I would do just that, dark cloud, but I like to keep an eye on your temper. I want to smash that beautiful Phaeacian ship as it sails for home over the misty sea. Smash it so that they will stop this nonsense once and for all, giving men safe passage and I'll hem their city in with a mountain. 
and Zeus from out of his nimbus of cloud. Well, now, this is what I would do. Wait until all of the people in the city see her pulling into port, and then turn her to stone, stone shaped like a ship, a marble for all men, and then hem their city in with a mountain. When he heard this, the lord of earthquake went to Scaria, where the Phaeacians live, and waited. The great seafaring ship was closing in fast when Poseidon slapped it with the flat of his hand and turned it to stone, rooted in the seafloor. Then the god was gone. The Phaeacians, men who understood the sea, kept turning to each other, saying things like, Who did that? Stopped her dead in the water when she was at top speed, pulling in home. She was in plain view from stem to stern. Winged words, but they had no idea what had happened. Then Alcinous spoke to his people. Alas, for the prophecy of old that I heard from my father. He said that Poseidon would be angry with us for giving safe passage and that one day he would wreck a beautiful ship as it sailed for home over the misty sea and he would hem our city in with a mountain. What the old man said is all coming true. Now hear what I have to say. Let us all agree never again to provide safe escort to any man who comes to our city. And we will sacrifice 12 chosen bulls to Lord Poseidon, so may he pity us and not enclose our town with a mountain. Trembling with fear, they prepared the bulls, and soon all the Phaeacian leaders and lords were standing around Poseidon's altar, singing their prayers. Odysseus, meanwhile, awoke from sleep in his ancestral land and did not recognize it. He had been gone so long, and Pallas Athena had spread haze all around. The goddess wanted to explain things to him and to disguise him so that his wife and dear ones would not know who he was until he had made the arrogant suitors pay for their outrage. So everything on Ithaca now looked different to its lord. The winding trails, the harbors, the towering rocks, and the trees. Odysseus sprang to his feet and gazed at his homeland. He groaned, smacked his thighs with his hands, and in a voice choked with tears said, What land have I come to now? Who knows what kind of people live here? Lawless savages or God-fearing men who take kindly to strangers? Where am I going to take all these things? Where am I going to go myself? I should have stayed with the Phaeacians until I could go on from there to some other powerful king who would have entertained me and sent me off homeward bound. Now, I don't even know where to put this stuff. I can't leave it here as easy pickings for a thief. Those Phaeacian lords were not as wise as they seemed, nor as just bringing me here to this strange land. They said they would bring me to Ithaca's shore, but that's not what they've done. Zeus pay them back. Zeus, god of suppliants, who spots trends transgressors and punishes them. Well, I'd better count my goods and go over them. Those sailors may have made off with some in their ship. And he set about counting the hammered tripods, the cauldrons, the gold, the finely woven clothes. Nothing was missing. It was his homeland he missed as he paced along the whispering surf line, utterly forlorn. And then Athena was beside him, in the form of a young man out herding sheep. She had the delicate features of a prince, a fine spun mantle folded over her shoulders, sandals on her glistening feet, a spear in her hand. Odysseus's spirit soared when he saw her, and he turned to her with these words on his lips. Friend, 
You are the first person I've met here. I wish you well. Now, don't turn on me. Help me keep these things safe and keep me safe. I beg you, at your knees as if you were a god. And tell me this so I will know. What land is this? Who are the people here? Is this an island or a rocky arm of the mainland shore stretching out to sea? Athena's eyes glinted with azure light. Where in the world do you come from, stranger, that you have to ask what land this is? It's not exactly nameless. Men from all over know this land, sailing in from the sunrise and from far beyond the evening horizon. It's got rough terrain, not for driving horses, but it's not at all poor, even though without wide open spaces. There's abundant grain here and wine grapes, good rainfalls, and rich heavy dews. Good pasture, too, for goats and for cattle. That's why Ithaca is a name heard even in Troy, which they say is far from any Greek land. And Odysseus, who had borne much, felt joy at hearing his homeland described by Pallas Athena, Zeus's own daughter. His words flew out as if on wings, but he did not speak the truth. He checked that impulse, and jockeying for an advantage, made up this story. I've heard of Ithaca, of course, even in Crete, far over the sea, and now I've just come ashore. With my belongings here, I left as much to my sons back home. I've been on the run since killing a man, Orsilochus, Idomeneus' son, the great sprinter. No one in all Crete could match his speed. He wanted to rob me of all the loot I took out of Troy, stuff I had sweated for in hand-to-hand combat in the war overseas, because I wouldn't serve under his father at Troy, but led my own unit instead. I ambushed him with one of my men, got him with a spear as he came back from the fields. It was night, pitch black. No one saw us, and I got away with a clean kill with sharp bronze. Then I found a ship, Phoenician, and made it worth the crew's while to take me to Pylos, or Elis, maybe, where the Apeans are in power. Well, the wind pushed us back from those shores. It wasn't their fault. They didn't want to cheat me. And we were driven here in the middle of the night and rode like hell into the harbor. Didn't even think of chow, though we sure could have used some. Just got off the boat and lay down, all of us. I slept like a baby, dead to the world. And they unloaded my stuff from the ship's hold and set it down next to me, where I lay on the sand. Then they went off to Sidonia, the big city, and I was left here stranded, just aching inside. Athena smiled at him, her eyes blue as the sea, and her hand brushed his cheek. She was now a tall, beautiful woman with an exquisite touch for handiwork, and her words had wings. Only a master thief, a real con artist, could match your tricks. Even a god might come up short. You wily bastard, you cunning, elusive, habitual liar. Even in your own land, you weren't about to give up the stories and sly deceits that are so much a part of you. Never mind about that, though. Here we are, the two shrewdest minds in the universe, you far and away the best man on earth in plotting strategies, and I famed among gods for my clever schemes. Not even you recognize Pallas Athena, Zeus's daughter. I, who stand by you in all your troubles, and who made you dear to all the Phaeacians. Now I've come here, ready to weave a plan with you, and to hide the goods the Phaeacians gave you, which was my idea, and to tell you what you still have to endure in your own house, and you do have to endure, and not tell anyone, man or woman, that you have come home from your wanderings. No, you must suffer in silence and take a beating. 
and Odysseus, his mind teeming. It would be hard for the most discerning man alive to see through all your disguises, goddess. I know this, though. You were always kind to me when the army fought at Troy. But after we plundered Priam's steep city and boarded our ships and a god scattered us, I didn't see you then, didn't sense your presence aboard my ship or feel you there to help me. No, and I suffered in my wanderings until the gods released me from my troubles. It wasn't until I was on Phaeacia that you comforted me and led me to the city. Now I beg you, by your father, I don't believe I've come to sunlit Ithaca, but to some other land. I think you're just giving me a hard time and trying to put one over on me. Tell me if I've really come to my own native land. And Athena, her eyes glinting blue. Ah, that mind of yours. That's why I can't leave you when you're down and out because you're so intelligent and self-possessed. Any other man come home from hard travels would rush to his house to see his children and wife, but you don't even want to hear how they are until you test your wife, who, as a matter of fact, just sits in the house, weeping away the lonely days and nights. I never lost faith, though. I always knew in my heart you'd make it home, all your companions lost. But I couldn't bring myself to fight my uncle Poseidon, who had it in for you angry because you blinded his son. And so, and now, so you will believe, I will show you Ithaca from the ground up. There's the harbor of Forces, the old man of the sea, and here, at its head, is the slender-leaved olive tree standing near a cave that glimmers in the mist and is sacred to the nymphs called naiads. Under that cavern's arched roof, you sacrificed many a perfect victim to the nymphs. And there stands Mount Neriton, mantled in forest. As she spoke, the goddess dispelled the mist. The ground appeared, and Odysseus, the godlike survivor, felt his mind soar at the sight of his land. He kissed the good earth, and with his palms to the sun, Odysseus prayed, Nymphs, naiads, daughters of Zeus, I never thought I would see you again. Take pleasure in my whispered prayers, and we will give you gifts as before, if Zeus's great daughter Athena allows me to live and my son to reach manhood. And Athena, her eyes glinting blue, you don't have to worry about that. Right now, let's stow these things in a nook of the enchanted cave where they'll be safe for you. Then we can talk about a happy ending. With that, the goddess entered the shadowy cave and searched out its recesses, while Odysseus brought everything closer, the gold, the bronze, the well-made clothes the Phaeacians had given him. And Zeus's own daughter stored them away and blocked the entrance to the cave with a stone. Then, sitting at the base of the sacred olive, the two plotted death for the insolent suitors. Athena began their discussion this way. Son of Laertes in the line of Zeus, Odysseus, the master tactician, consider how you're going to get your hands on the shameless suitors who for three years now have taken over your house, proposing to your wife and giving her gifts. She pines constantly for your return, but she strings them along, makes little promises, sends messages, while her intentions are otherwise. And Odysseus, his mind teeming, I'd be heading for the same pitiful death that Agamemnon met in his house if you hadn't told me all this, goddess. Weave a plan so I can pay them back and stand by me yourself. Give me the spirit I had when we ripped down Troy's shining towers. 
With you at my side, your eyes glinting and your mind fixed on battle, I would take on three hundred men if your power were with me. And Athena, eyes reflecting blue sea light. Oh, I'll be there all right, and I'll keep my eye on you when we get down to business. And I think more than one of these suitors destroying your home will spatter the ground with their blood and brains. Now let's see about disguising you. First, I'll shrivel the skin on your gnarly limbs and wither that tawny hair. A piece of sailcloth will do for a nice, ugly cloak. Then we'll make those beautiful eyes bleary and dim. You'll look disgusting to all the suitors as well as to the wife and child you left behind in your halls, but you should go first to your swineherd. He may only tend your pigs, but he's devoted to you, and he loves your son and Penelope. You'll find him with the swine. They are feeding by Raven's Rock and Arethusa's Spring, gorging on acorns and drinking black water, which fattens swine up nicely. Stay with him. Sit with him for a while and ask him about everything, while I go to Lacedaemon, land of lovely women, to summon Telemachus. Your son, Odysseus, went to Menelaus's house in Sparta, hoping for news that you are still alive. And Odysseus, his mind teeming, you knew. Why didn't you tell him? So he could suffer too, roving barren seas while my wife's suitors eat him out of house and home? Athena answered, her eyes glinting blue. You needn't worry too much about him. I accompanied him in person. I wanted him to make a name for himself by traveling there. He's not exactly laboring as he takes his ease in Menelaus's luxurious palace. Sure, these young louts have laid an ambush for him in a ship out at sea, meaning to kill him before he reaches home, but I don't think they will. These suitors who have been destroying your home will be six feet under before that'll ever happen. So saying, Athena touched him with a wand. She shriveled the flesh on his gnarled limbs and withered his tawny hair. She wrinkled the skin all over his body so that he looked like an old man, and she made his beautiful eyes bleary and dim. Then she turned his clothes into tattered rags, dirty and smoke-grimed, and cast about him a great deerskin cloak with the fur worn off. And she gave him a staff and a ratty pouch all full of holes, slung by a twisted cord. Having laid their plans, they went their own ways, the goddess off to Sparta to fetch Telemachus.